You know, Kim and I were greatly blessed by your love and support by allowing us this time of rest. It was a time of reflection and even time to just retool, to see, you know, and ask, Lord, what do you have for us to do in the days ahead? But rest for us meant much sleep and uh, traveling to places to enjoy God's cre uh, creation. Uh, we traveled, we drove 4,300 4, miles. We drove up along the Oregon coast and, and then uh, we crossed four states to Washington, Idaho, Wyoming, Utah, to Colorado. And in between, we visited four national parks. Love the fact that now I qualify for a lifetime senior pass. <laughs> so, um, but it's a blessing just to see God's creative beauty. We in the West Coast or in uh, the Western part of the United States, we have access to a lot of these national parks. It's just great. But we also visited a, um, a dozen different churches. And it, while it was enjoyable to worship and, and meet fellow believers from various areas, um, and it was nothing really compares to being in your home church. Nothing compares to being here at Foothill. And it's good for us to be back, to be refreshed and be encouraged. And uh, um, we are glad to be back and ready to serve. But during our sabbatical, I want to say that, you know, we had read many books um, together and, and uh, listened on audiobooks as well. Uh, uh, we were going through the life of D. Martin Lloyd-Jones. Kim has been doing that for ongoing for a while, but George Whitfield, uh, the evangelist, Isaac Watts, the hymn writer, Winston Churchill, uh, and uh, a few other books that were just very uh, significant. I was looking at leadership and how do men process and during times of crisis. There was a book, Splendid and the Vile, of Winston Churchill handling when, the, when London was being bombed, when England was near the end of its rope, um, how does leadership handle? And it was just, uh, you see the best and the worst of men uh, in times of war, in times of conflict. And, but just lessons learned. But probably the most prominent book <clears throat> was going over the book called The Evangelicals, The Struggle to Shape America by Francis Fitzgerald. And... That book provided such a rich understanding of our heritage as followers of Christ in America. Since the Great Awakening, the author just traces different movements of thoughts and denominations and beliefs. And, and it really helped me to understand more of, I know Foothill's history. I know uh, the stream of thought or doctrine that we come from. But the author took the time to just um, take a look back and see the movements and um, from charismatics to uh, uh, fundamentals and, and everything in between and how uh, the shaping of America and our culture. Uh, it was a very fascinating book. But it caused me to think about the church's role and mission as they face, as the church always have faced, moral, social, and political challenges. And I come away more impressed of how God is building his church and the gates of hell shall not prevail. There's a certain comforting fact to know that God is sovereign in control. And we come to gather to be reminded of that each week. Because it's easily, it's, we're all tempted to forget and forsake the Lord. 
But our richest time together for Kim and I, our richest time was reading through the book of Philippians. We read it almost every day, and we enjoy the riches of studying this profound book. And I'll talk a little bit more about that in a moment. But one of the funny, or one of the most enjoyable highlights during the sabbatical was gathering the immediate family on a group project of selling all the things we don't need. You know, they're called garage sales. And we thought, well, we're done with garage sales. We're not going to do that anymore. But the idea with family members was, let's do it together. And, and whatever proceeds we gain, let's have a meaningful family outing together. And so we set our sights towards, and we have seven grandchildren, and, and we thought, you know, Legoland. But the night before, one of the family members thought, what if we get more than that? And let's, you know, how about Disneyland? You know, there's none. Uh, and I thought, no way, we're not going to do that. Well, it ended up that the Lord provided, and, and we were able to, to go. And, and uh, it, was, it was a meaningful time. Um, we end up going to the happiest place on, in Orange County. <laughs> I don't know, on earth, but that's what they tell, you know. And, uh, but it was a wonderful time as a family, especially as grandparents just pushing the stroller, you know. Uh, meanwhile, uh, my kids and son-in-law have their phones. We've got to go here, you know, follow the app and, and go wherever. And uh, that, that I would not have enjoyed. <laughs> But as I reflect upon that particular event, <clears throat> I could appreciate the time and the moment, but what I notice in contrast to studying the book of Philippians is that happy places and events does not produce joy that the Bible talks about. You know, Kim and, Kim and I learned that joy comes from God, but often it's revealed in the context of various trials and testings and, and suffering. And one of the major themes of, of the book of Philippians is, is the theme of joy. You know, the Apostle Paul mentions joy or to rejoice 16 times. And, and it was just fascinating to see um, how God used Paul in producing joy. And that's what I want to talk about. But what is joy in comparison to happiness? Ever ask that question? You know, what is joy compared to happiness? Let me begin by defining happiness. Happiness is a positive emotion based on happenstance or events, such as that recent event in Disneyland. Um, for many, living a happy life is the goal of life. The problem with this is it's unsustainable and temporal because of sin and its consequences. Sin by others our sin to others, and the negative effects around our world because of sin. Happiness is temporal and external, whereas joy, biblical joy, is internal and eternal because it is not rooted on happenstance, but upon our union with Christ. Pastor John MacArthur uh, defines Christian joy as it's not a giddy, superficial happiness that can be devastated by illness, economic difficulties, broken relationships, 
or the countless other disappointments of life. Instead, it flows from the deep, unshakable confidence that God is eternally in control of every aspect of life for the good of his beloved children. A confidence rooted in the knowledge of his word, God's character, and the saving work of Christ. And he goes on. I'm just uh, quoting part of it. Pastor John Piper, another um, pastor I appreciate, defines Christian joy as, quote, a good feeling in the soul produced by the Holy Spirit as he causes us to see the beauty of Christ in the, wor in the word and in our world. Meaning, it's not a good feeling outwardly, but internally, as I said before, and eternally. So the true joy is not the absence of trials, difficulty, persecution, suffering, afflictions, pains, or loss, but the confidence upon a God's providential purposes that he does work all things together for good to those who love Christ and are called according to his purpose. Some of you in here are under those afflictions and trials and testings. It's not a happy time. But you can live for Christ because there's joy that's being produced in you because of Christ. And so biblical joy is, is really possessing that quiet, confident trust rooted in the knowledge of God's word and his attributes and his character. The follower of Christ experiences God's intervention through answered prayer, through Christian fellowship, through worship and song as we sang, have sung. There's a peace that surpasses all understanding. And just seeing through the eyes of faith that God that life was made by him and it's sustained by him and the assurance of a future home. So I invite you now to open a copy of God's word and turn to the book of Philippians. And we're going to just read chapter 1, verses 1 through 6. I still love the wrestling of the pages, you know. Some of you still do that versus electronically. Uh, and it's good to hear that. But let me read here. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints <clears throat> in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Father, I do ask that your spirit would bring forth clarity through my lips, but then bring clarity to the hearts of your children in the next few minutes here. Lord, we ask that you would be lifted on high, and we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Let me give you a background to Philippians here. You know, Paul's heart was filled with joy as he writes this letter 
from prison, of all places, prison in Rome. Joy and unity are the major themes, as I mentioned before, that throughout this letter to the, the saints in Philippi. The book of Philippians is part of the prison epistles. That's Ephesians, Colossians, Philemon are, are the other prison epistles. But after his second missionary journey, he writes here um, to Philippi, uh, the church in Philippi. And even Acts 28, verses 14 to 31, describes the account of Paul being jailed. But Philippi, this place, Philippi, was a strategic Roman colony in the region of Macedonia, now modern-day Greek. And the church was born after the, the Apostle Paul preached the gospel leading to the first European converts. It's amazing, that strategic direction through in Philippi really changed the course of the world because the gospel then spread throughout Europe. Um, and uh, I just find that fascinating if you see, study the church movement um, over history. But it started there and, and Lydia and her household were the first converts there in Acts 16, 16 records that. But soon afterwards, Paul is beaten I mean, he, he leads Lydia in the household, but word gets out. Paul is beaten and thrown in prison along with his buddy Silas. They're beaten and thrown in prison. But you know, joy was evident in their lives as they prayed and sang hymns to God. The prisoners listening to them, and suddenly there's an earthquake. Their chains came off, and as a result, the jailer and his household come to faith in God. Wow, that's church growth right there. Um, but fast forward several years later, and Paul receives a gift from the church in Philippi through Epaphroditus, and he wants to send him back to Philippi with, his pers with this personal message. Paul wants to see the message of our union with Christ advanced. You know, in this letter, he's concerned about their effectiveness as a church. He says that it would be far better to be with Christ, but God has him to remain in order to see their progress and joy in the faith. You find that there in chapter 1, verse 25. You know, listen to this. Paul had every reason to not be joyful in writing this letter. Walk with me here. He's in prison. He's chained to a guard. He has been previously beaten, awaiting trial, not sure if he's going to be released or executed. Then there are people who are undermining his ministry by speaking unkindly of Paul. You find that in chapter 1, verse 15 to 17. There are others who are preaching with selfish, selfish ambition. Find that in verse 17 there of chapter 1. There's others who seek to afflict harm to him. There's people who are seeking their own interests. Find that in chapter 2, verse 21. There's some who oppose, oppose Paul because they are enemies of the gospel. Chapter 3, verse 18. There are conflicts within the church. Chapter 4, verse 2. And yet... Paul has learned that his joy in the Lord is not dependent upon his circumstances. He even calls the, to, the church to rejoice in the Lord always. Find that in chapter 4, verse 4. And so this morning, 
we will learn, by God's grace, why the Apostle Paul provided three reasons for joy so that we may learn to rejoice in the Lord as followers of Christ in community. I want you to understand that joy is something that is not only from God, but it is for those of us in Christ that should be characteristic of our lives. But we need these reminders. And Paul gives these three reminders. It starts in verse 1 and 2. They are fellow recipients. That means the saints, the, uh, the followers of Christ. It says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Jesus Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers, grace to you and peace from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul, along with his ministry partner, Timothy, introduces himself as a servant or bond servant or slave. And, that, um, and when I say slave, he's, what he's saying is a, a slave... The meaning of that meant it was something, he was a voluntary, a person who voluntarily gave of himself. He was devoted himself to God. And that's what Paul, how he introduces himself and Timothy. And he's writing this letter to a specific audience. He says, to the saints in Christ Jesus, who are at Philippi. You know, the word saints, we use that word saints. Um, but the saint. This word saint means individuals who are set apart by God. They're set apart by God in Christ Jesus. He not only addresses these certain types of people, but he's also addressing the leadership of the church, the overseers and deacons. And Paul's cause, his first cause for joy rests on these two facts. The servants and saints of Christ Jesus are the recipients of God's grace and peace because they are in Christ. This means their union in, with Christ was the result of God's grace, God's gift to them, and God's peace. That blessing, the evidence that God was with them, they had that peace. And the only means to receive this, um, this gift of God's grace and peace is through the Lord Jesus alone. Friends, that fact alone should promote joy within all of our hearts to know that you are the recipient of God's grace and peace. We so quickly forget. If you know Christ, and more importantly, Christ knows you, you are the recipient of his grace and peace. When you know all around you, there are people who are not the recipient of God's grace and peace, and they demonstrate by their rebellion against God. That should sober you. That should cause you to be worshiping, exalt Christ by saying, I am the recipient of his grace and peace. Pastor Micah reminded us that our union with Christ is a result of how Paul describes in Ephesians 2, verse 4 through 6, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with, us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You see, that act of God's mercy upon us. Again, when we understand we were rebels, 
We were dead, and he made us alive. Luke records in Acts 16 of Lydia, that first convert in Europe, and one of the original members of the church. He describes it this way about Lydia's conversion, that the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. You know, that's what the Lord did to each of you who know Christ. The Lord opened your heart. You were dead, but he opened your heart. And that, as a result, led to Lydia being a worshiper of Christ and the church being founded there. Friends, when you recognize that what God has done for us, that should be that should be a reason for joy, a cause for joy. But not only that, that, that the saints are fellow recipients of God's grace. But point number two, I just have three points, and um, simple, but it's verse three to five says, they are fellow partners in the gospel. Paul writes there, I thank my God in all my remembrance, remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. You see, Paul's joy was directly tied to his recalling and giving of thanks for the personal relationship centered around the gospel. Again, Paul, Paul uses that word joy, as I said, over, I think it was 16 times, at least it was certainly over a dozen times. Um, and throughout those four chapters. And we just need to recognize that that, that partnership was born because Lydia and her household and the jailer and his household heard Paul's joy in bringing forth the good news of salvation after being persecuted. And fast forward many years later, Paul recalls that this church in Macedonia was very generous. When Paul was in Thessalonica, the church in Philippi was the only one who partnered in support. Paul writes that in chapter 4, verse 16. You know, Paul's joy is based upon God's goodness through the local church. Did you get that? Paul's joy is based on God's goodness through the local church. And he wasn't alone. You see there later in chapter 2, Paul says, Timothy, his fellow servant, and Epaphroditus, his fellow worker and soldier, also share this ministry partnership. And it, it almost cost Epaphroditus his life as he became very ill. But that partnership produced a joy when he recalls and, and sees that there's a love and a bond because of that fellowship, that partnership. Partnership means fellowship, a sense of shared purpose. And that common bond of sharing God's good news is what binds them together. This type of relationship speaks much about the church's perseverance and a long-standing relationship of enduring faith. You know, the church was in, uh, at Philippi was not a wealthy church, material, uh, materially speaking, but they were generous. Paul writes on another occasion in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, he says that the church, the churches in Macedonia, including Philippi, 
during that severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. They, the church there was filled with so much joy that they were just generous, generous of giving of themselves, even in their poverty. Is that character, characteristic of churches in America today? I, I don't know. I know that Foothill Bible has been generous and we trust that we'll continue to be generous. Certainly not out of poverty, but we may perhaps one day be afflicted and we would be tested. But does joy, that abundance of joy, show up in, in our hearts? You see, the church in Philippi was motivated by, a spiritual, by the fact that they received spiritual blessing and they wanted to show it tangibly. One commentator puts it well, Participation in the gospel takes your eyes off yourself because you focus on God's gift of grace, that undeserved merit, that God granted faith to believe when once you were dead, that your life has been enhanced as you seek to emulate prayer and thanksgiving, that you have a new heart of love for God, that you seek to minister to others, that you, make, that you seek to make God's name great as you share with others, that you seek to separate from the world and its influences. And you recognize that there's a spiritual battle that requires God's armor and protection. That's all because of your participation in the gospel. When you think about your life before Christ and your life now in Christ, have you seen that transformation? I mean, it's, it's, it, it, it's a pause to say, wow. I look back and go, praise God. He's done that work of transformation. I've seen it in many of your lives. And I praise God. When, when Kim and I think about Foothill, we praise God for many of you saints, for the way God has been working and transforming your lives. And that's such a contrast to the unbelieving world of being self-absorbed, self-focused, just only focusing on their own personal wants and needs. I think of the writer of Hebrews 13, 16, um, summarizes it this way. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. You know, when you give and support and partner in the gospel, it's a fragrant aroma to God. It is pleasing to God. The way you've supported Zach and Danny, I mean, it was such a, such a fast rate that they were surprised, and they're going, wow. Uh, I know there's a lot of waiting administratively, but, but they just saw, wow, God's people are stirred to provide. Question. Do you have rich fellowship with other brothers and sisters because of the gospel? Do you enjoy worshiping, praying, bearing one another's burdens, caring, helping, serving one another in the love of Christ? You see, true joy centers around serving others. The Christian life is not about seeking your own interests or seeking your own pleasures alone. But when you seek to be like Christ, you echo Paul's words in chapter 2 there in Philippians. He says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you Look 
not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. You know, Pastor Micah exhorted the congregation that there are many opportunities to serve and consider others more important than yourself. And so grateful for the legacy of this congregation to partner alongside, not only to our missionaries, but coming alongside and serving in in children's ministries, in Awana, in Cheerful Cooks, security, greeters, parking. I know I've missed a number of other uh, ministries, but there's a lot of activity going on because of the partnership of the gospel. You know, on a personal note, Kim and I, along with, I, and I speak really on behalf of the pastoral staff and our, our ministry partners, we're very grateful for your partnership in ministry by your financial support and encouragement over the years. Kim and I served in India and you sent us out and your testimony of continued support was a tremendous encouragement to the nationals and our fellow co-laborers. You know, when we visit our ministry partners as an extension of Foothill, <clears throat> the comment is often made that they have never seen nor experienced this type of support from the local church. This is from other missionaries who saying, what, you came and go visit? You come and set some time aside and care and you're bringing a gift as well? I've never, we've never seen that. It's very rare. But praise God that God has been working through this body and just want to express um, appreciation. And it's a cause for joy. It's a real cause that we have that partnership. But that's what Paul was trying to express. That he just praises God for the fellow partnership in the gospel. So there's cause for joy because they're fellow recipients of God's grace and mercy. Grace and peace, I should say. They are fellow partners in the gospel. But third, they are fellow projects of God's construction work. You find that in verse 6, that, and I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. You see, Paul writes with certainty. He uses the word that express, expresses a confidence, an absolute trust of God's sure work of, not only of salvation, but, but he's saying God has begun this good work. He is doing that transformation. Paul continues. Paul repeats this idea later in chapter 3 that God will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. There's, there's a work that God is doing in all of you who are in Christ. That is, I, you know, uh, I think of Romans 8.30, the, the same idea that God who, who predestined he also called, and those whom he called, he justified, and those whom he justified, he glorified. There's a whole process and, and progress of being more like Christ. Why is Paul so confident? Because his trust is upon the character of God. Because God is the one who calls sinners, as I said earlier. God is the one who removed the scale from our eyes. God is the one who changed the heart of stone to a heart of flesh. God is the one who brings forth life when we were once dead. Paul recognizes that the local church has not arrived in perfection. Neither have you are, neither this, this church or you and I. But he recognized that, um, and he will address the many issues throughout the uh, book of Philippians. And, 
And yet, there's a certain confidence to know God is not done with us. So question for you is, how do you view others in this congregation? Are you patient to overlook offenses and trust upon God's work? If you believe that a fellow brother, sister are in Christ, do you believe that God is still working in transforming this person's life? Or are you just impatient just write them off? Say, forget them. You know, I try to talk to them. They won't listen to me. I'm out of here or get out of here. Is that your attitude? Or if they are in Christ, you are trusting that God who began that good work, he's still working, just like he's done in you and me. I mean, when I turned to cry, when God opened my eyes to see, it was a, the whole process of repentance is, it's been over 40 years now. Um, it's a process. The Bible commentator William Hendrickson says it well. He says, God is not like men. Men conduct experiments, but God carries out a plan. God never does anything by halves. Not half completion, it's full completion. That's what God is doing. And so there's a cause for joy. When you know, okay, this person hasn't arrived, but neither have you. <laughs> and, the, and just God grant patience. God give us self-control to walk alongside. You know, I mentioned that um, joy is often brought forth under times of great trial. Um, and sometimes trials really just helps wean out those imperfections, those areas that, or reveals things um, that we be, perhaps have held on to, our sin that so easily entangles us. And, and so we need to embrace those trials because what he's trying to produce, what God is seeking to produce is that joy. My concern for us in the modern age of affluence is the temptation to pursue happiness and pleasure at the expense of learning and acquiring true joy. Did you hear me? My concern for you. And we live in a great day and age in many ways. Um, I know it can look dark and weary, wearisome, but you know, we have so much affluence, so much access, accessibility to the word of God in so many forms and fashion. But we are often tempted to settle for lesser things, things that may provide some form of happiness, but it doesn't produce joy. My concern is, do you have that long-term goal, that gain, that, that, that long view, that long game, I should say, that, that joy of the Lord that looks beyond this life and finds strength knowing that there are better days ahead of me. I haven't arrived, but God is still working in me and, and working upon one another here. You know, when you live with eternity in view versus living for today, and we all fight this, we can easily lose perspective when the threat of losing access to our 
pleasures. Our, we call it freedoms. But we get uptight and upset. But perhaps the continual threats of persecution will purify the church. And so one of the most compelling witnesses, the evidence of joy in the life of a follower of Christ. And that manifestation of the fruits of the Spirit, that love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. It's a powerful tool of witness for Christ. You know, many years ago, as a young man at the University of Washington, I heard the gospel. Someone, a fellow classmate, shared the gospel. And this person was really wise. She pointed to an, a, another follower of Christ, another guy, and she, because she didn't know what my motives were. And I appreciated that looking back. And this, this uh, fellow student um, introduced me, explaining more of the gospel to me. But one of the most compelling witnesses, um, example of, that I learned from him was that his desire to make Christ known to people who never heard. And he was trying to share, pouring out his heart. What I didn't know was that he grew up in Iran and his parents were killed because of following Christ. But his joy, just I could not deny that there is joy in this person's life and the person who first shared the gospel. That was what compelled me to turn to Christ was, I, I mean, I can work through the scriptures and, and argue and, and debate about um, Christ the only way, but I couldn't deny a transformed life. May it be so for each of you. Friends, if you are a true follower of Christ, do not be discouraged. Um, if there is an absence of joy, perhaps, I'm not making, I don't know your hearts, but if there is an absence of joy in your life, maybe you don't know Christ. Perhaps you haven't really wholly given your life to Christ, meaning that you submitted to the will of God, that you have cried out for mercy and asked God, change my heart, reveal those areas of sin. I know the sin intellectually, but I don't know it personally. I don't want to change. I don't want to let go of my sin. And thus, there's no joy in your life because you're always battling with your flesh. And the word of God is pounding on you. You may have grown up in a Christian home. You may have grown up with the Bible all, um, being pre uh, preached here. But there's a wrestling in your heart. There's no joy. Why? Because you are not fighting the elders or men. You're fighting God and his word. And there is no joy that's being produced. But the evidence of a follower of Christ is that there is joy because they understand they have been the recipients of God's grace. That they are fellow partners in the gospel. And they are fellow projects. They're a work in process. But I just would plead you to consider, if you don't have that joy, may I ask that you turn your eyes to Christ. Turn to him. For many of us, you may be saying, yeah, that, that's all well said and done, but you know, that was Paul. Um, 
he was a super saint. He was an apostle. And so he can have that joy. And, and, and that was for those people. But you know, that theme of joy is consistent in other uh, parts of the New Testament. When we see the writings of James, he writes there in James chapter 1, verse 2, Consider it all joy, my brothers, when you undergo various trials. I think of the writer to Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 32. But recall the former days after you were enlightened, endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion to those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. They had a view beyond this current life. I think of the next generation. You will be tested. And you may have the plundering of your property and your possessions. Don't hang on to them. Would you be one who joyfully, will I or will you be ones who joyfully accept that you can even echo the hymn, whatever befalls thou hast taught me to say, it is wet, it is well, it is well with my soul. There's a certain joy to know when you're tested like that, that I don't live for today, I live for something way beyond today. I think of Peter. Peter writes that the saints there were being scattered and they were tested quite a bit. But Peter writes to the fellow Christians under persecution. He writes there in chapter 1, verse 6. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you, do not, though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. I trust that God is producing us here at Foothill, men and women who have joy inexpressible as a, as a result of being fed the word of God as well as being tested. May God help us. And as we close in worship and song, may God help us to, to just recall that we are those fellow recipients of God's grace and peace. That as we participate, we are fellow partners in this gospel. That's what binds us together in serving alongside together for the sake of his name, to make his glory known. And that we are fellow projects. We are part of God's construction project. And we should rejoice and find joy to know that, that he, hasn't, he hasn't given up on us. Let me just close on a word of prayer. <coughs> Father, there is a certain joy to know in our, that 
your word assures us that there is a joy that we can anticipate in your presence because being in your presence, there will, no, there will no more be tears. There will be no more sin. There will be no more suffering. You will wipe away every tear. And that, that anticipation is one that helps us fuel ahead because of Christ who made it possible to pay that sacrifice so that we don't have to suffer the consequences of sin. Oh God, help us to have that perspective that we are the recipients of your grace and peace. Elevate our worship, not just in this hour, but in the days ahead. And that as we go out to this watching world who's lost and without hope, they don't have joy. They may have happiness, but they don't have joy. Oh Lord, help us to spread the joy of making Christ known. And we ask for your help in Christ's name. Amen.